The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word this morning. I'm excited for that. <clears throat> How many of you had an enjoyable Thanksgiving? I mean, I had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. It was really awesome. I, I enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. There's always uh, fellowship and food, wonderful things. So as we, we, we come into the, uh, the holiday season here, I'm still kind of feeling Thanksgiving. Are you? I mean, so if you see me kind of like stretch out a little bit and do a couple of those things, just bear with me because... I'm still feeling the hurt there. Uh, I'm excited about the holiday season. I love everything about it. Uh, I enjoy the music, and I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy the purpose behind it. But I really think that there are some things that are important to focus on. I mean, uh, it's, it's a shame that sometimes we, we pull out some songs once a year, you know. And some of these songs have some profound words in them, words that we really ought to celebrate uh, uh, year-round as believers. And, and the same with Scripture. You'll see passages of scripture that come out about once a year because it's fitting for the season and it goes with the themes and the decor. But really and truly, uh, what we celebrate this time of year is the foundation of our faith. I mean, it's, it's what we hope in, that God would fulfill his promise, that he would send Jesus, and that everything that Jesus would bring into our lives would be delivered in full. And I want to get into the word and talk about one of those things that Jesus brings into our life this morning. Now, if you're, if you're taking notes, there's a couple of things you can write down if you want to, uh, things that you can look forward to as we get into the Word. Uh, one thing we're going to find out, uh, what we always need to be doing. Now, if you're like me, you have a to-do list that's fairly long, uh, but there's something that you could always have on that list, something that we always need to be doing, and we can uh, examine our lives to see to it that that's there. A second thing is what Jesus wants you to have. There's something specific that he wants you to have. In fact, he prayed and he asked God that you could have it. That is really how serious he was about you having it. You were in his prayer life and he was asking God that you might have this. And then the third thing we're going to find is how to get joy. I mean, we sing about joy and we talk about joy and we decorate our homes, and, and the word joy is present, you know, as we uh, move into the holiday season here. Uh, but I want to examine the word in pursuit of joy, that it's not just something that is in our vocabulary, but it's something that is in our lives, in our existence, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our hearts. I want us to be a joyful people. So the first thing we said we're going to find is what we always need to be doing. I want to turn to a passage of scripture, if you're willing to go there with me, of the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 4. Now remember, we're going to find what we always need to be doing. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It reads like this, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I want to pause right there, rejoice in the Lord always, always meaning all the time, like there's never a time where you get a minute off, but rejoicing in the Lord always is this call upon our lives. Now, I understand that may not seem realistic as an individual, I mean, 
We have high times and low times, good days and rough days and trials and things like that. But as a body, this is possible. I mean, if you're having a rough go, but I can come and I can encourage and help bring the rejoicing in Jesus into your life, and you can be there for me, then we can fulfill this. And together we can rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now verse 5 says, let your gentle spirit be known before men that the Lord is near. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then this wonderful promise comes. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Now, I read this, and I may read it a little differently than you may read it, and that's okay. But I see this as a cause and effect. And I know the holiday season is a time where we speak of joy and we sing of joy and we decorate with joy, but yet you can also encounter tremendous trial and frustration and tremendous depression. I mean, some people could insert family joke there, but I think I'm above that. But we deal with things. We, we have all kinds of pressures and tensions and things in our everyday life, and all of a sudden, that which we're celebrating and we're singing of and we're decorating with comes under attack. Your joy comes under attack. There's something that I want us to do as we pursue these things. I want us to see in the word that there are ways to guard and protect. There are things that we can do in order to see to it that our hearts and our minds are protected from these outside attacks that are attempting to touch and steal our joy. Our joy is a massive priority in our lives as believers. We're going to see in the scripture how important that is in just a moment. But when I read this passage of scripture, I see cause and effect. When we get to, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding or comprehension and guard your hearts and minds in Christ, I see that as the result of an action. An action that would be uh, defined as rejoicing in the Lord, letting your gentle spirit be made known. I mean, that's a weird way of saying, don't freak out. Let your gentle spirit be before men. I mean, if I were writing the Preston Humphreys translation, it would just say, don't freak out. Because God is near. And don't worry. But in everything, offer it up in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Living a life where we're committed to rejoicing, where we're committed to not freaking out, but we're committed to rejoicing, where we offer up our prayers, our supplications, and our thanks to God, leaving them at his feet, knowing that he'll take care of us, opens up the door for his perfect peace to guard our hearts and minds. I mean, rejoice is the word there that I think I want to focus on. I mean, if we're supposed to be rejoicing always, I'd like to really know what that is. I mean, It's one thing to say it and to know I think it kind of means be happy. I think if we're called to do it all the time, we should just take a little time and examine it. So taking a little time to simply look up the word rejoice in a dictionary. If you look up the word rejoice, uh, it's listed as a verb. I mean, back to English class, right? I mean, what's a verb, right? It's it's like an action word, right? So uh, see, dog, run. Well, run is the verb there. So rejoicing is an action. It's something that we do. 
If you go by the definition, it lists a couple of definitions. The first one is to feel or show joy. <laughs> well, that doesn't really help me very much, right? It's kind of the dictionary game where you look up rejoice and it says to feel joy. And then you look up, you know, joy and it says to rejoice. And you just kind of go back and forth like a, a bad tennis match. But if you go to the, the words etymology, how it's formed, where it comes from, in order to receive a, a proper definition of it, you'll get information like this. Rejoice. To own or possess or enjoy to have the fruit of. To have the fruit of. Now, that one really intrigues me, to have the fruit of. When I think of rejoicing in the Lord, there are times where just being happy because I'm a Christian is challenged. I could have a bad day, just like you could have a bad day. Things don't go right. I had plans and intentions for things to look this way, and everything fell apart, and it looks completely different than I thought it would. Or somebody made a promise that they didn't keep, and all of a sudden the wheels are falling off of what was once a sure thing. I mean, things can go wrong. And if our interpretation of rejoicing in the Lord is just painting on a fake Christian smile and saying hallelujah during those times, while on the inside you want to kick the cat and spit, then we can really position ourselves to have a hard time. But when I look at that definition, I think, no, okay, that's different. That's different than the painted on smile. That's different than the grin and bear at Christianity where things are going tough, but I'm just going to smile and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I see now what this means to rejoice, to rejoice, to have the fruit of. I mean, if I can think that when I read that passage of Scripture, if I can, can switch those things out without altering definitions, it's going to greatly change the impact of that in my mind. Have the fruit of the Lord always, and again, have the fruit of the Lord. Have the fruit of being a Christian, the results of Christianity always. Have the results of Christianity. Again, I say, have the fruit of Christianity. That makes sense to me now. It's not just about trying to fake your way through hard times. It's a call to pursue the fulfillment of those promises. It really does encourage then to lay down those anxieties and those cares and those frustrations. So I want to talk a little bit about the fruit of Christianity. I want to talk a little bit about that joy that, that we're meant to pursue. And I, I think it's important that we stop even in this season. I mean, you know, this season comes around and the decor changes, the music changes, uh, our lifestyles change. It's really rare for, for some of us to take a day off. But in this season, it feels like, you know, every other week's got some kind of an event or a party or a break, and then before you know it, you got a few days off. I mean, this is a seat. We change everything. I mean, literally, wars have stopped to celebrate the holidays that we're celebrating right now. It's pretty amazing the impact these days have. So, I mean, what is all of that all about? Well, it's about joy. I want to give you a passage of Scripture for your notes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 10. Now, early on in Luke, you see the, the nativity story and all of the things that we'll, we'll see in imagery and in song and celebration. But you see something here in Luke that I think needs to be paid attention to. We ought to make note of it. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. We see the angels acknowledging the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ. 
that there is a child born in Bethlehem, the fulfillment of prophecy, that God's promise being fulfilled, all of this celebration. And the way he words all of this, as this angel is revealing this truth, he says it like this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. The gospel is good news. I mean, by definition, it means good news. But good news about what? Good news about a great joy. Jesus, his birth, everything that God's done is meant to bring joy to all people. Joy is the purpose. Joy is the point. Joy is the result of everything. It's the reason why most of our songs now are going to involve joy as we celebrate this season. We should look closely at joy, its importance and its value. And if you go to joy in the dictionary, just to look it up, to find out what it means, you'll, you'll find out a couple of things. One, uh, it's defined as the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. For us to have joy in Jesus, we must find Jesus exceptionally good and satisfying. Another definition when you look up the word joy, a source or cause of keen pleasure or delight, something or someone greatly valued or appreciated. In order for us to experience the joy that this season represents, the joy that this season celebrates, in order for us to experience that joy, we're going to have to find Jesus enjoyable. We're going to have to find Jesus as something that is greatly valued or appreciated. Jesus needs to be that which is exceptionally good or satisfying. So in times in my life where I feel like my joy has been challenged, I, I will ask myself if my appetites have changed. Am I no longer satisfied with the things of God? Am I beginning to be satisfied with things outside of his kingdom, things that exist in the world? Are there other things that, are now, uh, that I'm longing for, that I'm hungering for, that I'm pursuing? Things that are leading me astray, leading me away from this place of joy and celebration, satisfaction. And if so, I can promise you this, God is in the line of work of changing our appetites. You ever heard of a passage of scripture that said, taste and see that the Lord is good? I, mean, I think that's a really interesting thing. I mean, if I were introducing someone and I thought they were pretty cool and you'd never met him before, and I said, hey, you know, I want to bring in this guy to speak and you're going to like him, so I want you all to taste and see that <laughs> brother so-and-so is good, you would, you would think that's, like, that's kind of weird, right? But it's intentional, this wording, to taste and to see. I mean, those are two places where things are taken in. They're places where appetites are formed and where appetites are satisfied. And God is changing our appetites, and our appetites can change. They can change for the good. They can change for the bad. I mean, I've told this story before, and I think it's funny and worth telling. My, my father had this little dog. It was Cocker Spaniel Poodle Mix. Smart dog, but needed uh, probably a little more firm uh, dog owner, you know, to keep it trained and well-behaved. And, but naturally, just a really good dog. And I remember being out at his house, and my father loved to cook outside, and, and it was really enjoyable to go and spend time with him as he would cook on the grill. And he, he stood there, and he was cooking, and he was turning over the meat. And I saw this little piece kind of just break off, you know. And he picked it up with the the tongs, and he looked at it, and he looked at me, 
I thought I was about to get a treat. And he looked at the dog, and I thought, no, 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 no. And he looked back at it, and then he looked back at the dog, and he held it out. And I remember saying, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. And the dog was just sitting there, looking up at him, thinking, I'm so glad you're my master. And he dropped the meat. It hit the dog in the face and fell on the ground. The dog looked at it. He didn't know what it was. And then he ate it. And I swear, the devil possessed that dog <laughs> when he ate that. That dog was never the same. They could never cook outside again. I'm serious. They literally built a steel fence to keep that dog away from the grill because every time they would go outside to cook, that dog would just sit there and jump and jump and jump and jump and jump and jump. It, that dog, its appetite changed. It got a taste of something, and it changed the way that dog made choices. It changed the way that dog made decisions. It changed the way that dog behaved, and it changed the way people perceived that animal. That dog lost its freedom that day all because its appetite changed. Our appetites can change, and I mean, I don't like comparing us to animals or dogs, but we're in the same we're in the same situation. If our appetites change, they can change for the good. We can find Jesus satisfying. We can also find other things satisfying. And when we find things that are empty and vain in their ability to deliver their promises, we're going to find sorrow and frustration. We might be excited for a moment, but the moment that thing lets us down, we're going to be disappointed. We need to find our satisfaction in Jesus. Joy is a priority. I, I think that without joy, it's difficult or, or maybe even impossible to function and operate or live life in the kingdom of heaven. I'll, I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And before you read this passage of scripture, you have to come into an awareness and an understanding that the kingdom of God isn't some place that we'll go to one day. Rather, Jesus brought the kingdom of God here to earth for us. It's not a, a geographical location. Rather, it's everywhere that he rules and reigns. So if Jesus is your king, if your life is given to fulfill or follow his counsel, then the kingdom of God is there. It, the kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is near, however you want to word it. But Jesus speaks of the kingdom here in Matthew 13, 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And then because of joy over that treasure, he goes and sells all that he has in order to buy that field. What's really amazing about this is it's this wonderful indication of, of, of the, the worth and the value of our faith and our Christianity that it's worth giving up everything we have for. But everything about that passage of scripture doesn't work if you take out joy. It's almost like a truck pulling a trailer, and if you took a cutting torch, and I'm, I'm, what a hillbilly example, right? <laughs> you all know what a cutting torch is, right? Like a truck pulling a trailer, and if you were to take a cutting torch and, and just cut the hitch off, you'd still have a truck, and you'd still have a trailer, but there'd be no connection. No connection. Joy is literally the connection between you and the kingdom in this passage of Scripture. Without joy, it doesn't happen. 
Joy is important. It's necessary. It's, it is what drives and fuels our actions and our thoughts as we live out our lives as believers. There's all kinds of things looking to drag us down. It is the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. I'll give you a passage of scripture that is got context to it. You should read the context in your own time. It would be good out of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 28 has wonderful uh, blessings listed, the blessings of obedience and things along those lines. And then you'll see the results of disobedience and rebellion. And you'll find this on, on that side of things in Deuteronomy, but it's going to be speaking about joy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to just read two passages, 47 and 48. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 47 and 48. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy. Did you hear that? So because joy was missing, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy. It doesn't say because you didn't serve God. It doesn't say because, you know, you didn't show up at church or you didn't go to Bible study. It doesn't say any of these things. It just says because you, this wasn't motivated by joy. Because joy was absent, a glad heart was absent. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart because of the abundance of things he's done for you, therefore you shall now serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Well, that sounds rough. In hunger, that's not fun. In thirst, no good. In nakedness, look out. And in lack of all things. You know, I think when they're writing this, they're just thinking, well, what's worse than that? Well, what's worse than that? And, what's, and finally, they're just like, well, just it, it, I'll throw it all in there. In all things. Everything bad. Just fill it in there. Lack of all things. And then it goes on to say, and he, and I mean, he's got a capital H there. And he will put an iron yoke around your neck until he has destroyed you. That is about as intense a speech as you can have. And it's all because of the absence of joy. I mean, joy is meant to be our motivation. At any point when we're, we're, we're moving and we're doing and we're, we're functioning and operating, and joy isn't the motive. If it becomes religious obligation, if it becomes uh, anything outside, it could be selfish, uh, and, and selfish ambition or, or selfish gain could become our, our motivation. Anytime joy is not our motivation, we position ourselves for great difficulty according to that passage of Scripture. So Jesus prayed for us. I think, I think Jesus is, is a pretty smart guy, wouldn't you agree? I mean, he never once preached a message and then got done and was like, oh, you guys like that? I didn't really feel it today, but I'm glad to know that it, it hit a little bit. You know, I, I, start, I felt it and then we started and then it just kind of waned. And You know, he, he doesn't do that. I mean, everything he's speaking, he's speaking, it's the truth. It's, it's the, he, he mentions his words, our spirit and life. And it's true. So you never just have this, uh, this unintentional, you know, uh, uh, mistaken wisdom from Jesus, you know, where it's like, well, I accidentally said something that, that makes sense, so we're going to leave it in there. But Jesus is praying, and with the fullness of understanding of our needs and the things that, that ought to be motivating our lives, in this case, joy, he prays. I mentioned to you before, it's one of the three things we're going to find, what Jesus wants you to have. You'll find it in the Gospel of John chapter 17. In the Gospel of John chapter 17, when you get to verse 13, you'll see what Jesus wants you to have. Now, John chapter 17 is a wonderful thing to read when you need to be encouraged or lifted up or just to have a better understanding of who you are as a Christian. 
John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. And as he's praying, he's asking the Father. He's asking the Father for this when we get to verse 13. And now, Father, I come to you. In these things that I speak in the world, I speak so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I mean, I know I read that funny, but I wanted to make sure every one of those words stood out. He's not just saying, hey, so that they can be happy, so that they can have a good time. But he specifies that it's not just joy, but it's his joy. He's saying the things that I'm speaking, the messages I'm preaching, the lessons I'm teaching, the time that I spend with the disciples, the things that are being recorded for everyone who will hear their testimony coming after, I'm doing it for this reason, so that they might have my joy full in themselves. I mean, as a Christian, I see this now as the point of Christianity, that Jesus is bringing his joy into my life. So then I hear that and I see that and I read that and I think, well, what are the things that he's speaking and how is it that they bring joy into my life? What is it that he's speaking that has this power to bring this driving force that is what links me to the kingdom of God, this thing that, that makes my life be fulfilled and separates me from operating in just simple religious obligation and puts me in the position to have righteous motivation in everything that I do in the kingdom? Well, there's a couple of things that Jesus speaks of as he gets to this portion of, of John chapter 17. One, it's a matter of connection. Now you'll see in, in the Gospels, you'll see Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He talks about that in John chapter 15. And the things that he speaks of in John chapter 15 are the two of us being connected, abiding in one another. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, meaning we're going to be connected together. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine or the root, however you want to see that, neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, for me to have the joy of Jesus Christ as a motivation in my life, I'm going to need to be connected to Jesus Christ. If there's a disconnection, there's going to be a, a hindrance to the flow of joy or a separation there that will cut off that flow of joy that's meant to be flowing and functioning in and through my life. Another one of the things that Jesus speaks of in John 15 and verse 12 is loving one another. He says, this is my commandment that you would love one another just as I love you. I mean, being connected to Jesus, being a part of him leads to fruitfulness. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. He goes on to talk about proving to be his disciples when we read in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, it's interesting to me. That, that these are the things that testify, that these are the things that Jesus would speak and share and impart to us. I mean, why is it that the world would know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ by our love for one another? It's really a, a simple thing. It's not meant to be a difficult question. I mean, I, I would have thought that he would have said the world would know that you're my disciples by your love for me. 
Or the world would know that you're my disciples by how much you listen to me. Or the world would know that you're my disciples by how much you love God. Or the world would know that you're my disciples by some measure of your affection or devotion to him. But rather, he says, the world's going to know that you're my disciples by the measure of your love and affection for each other. And if we don't overcomplicate that and we just simplify it, it becomes really clear that in order for us to look like Jesus, we need to love each other because Jesus loves us. How can I look like him who loves you and not love you too? He loves us. And it's how we reveal to this world that he's alive and functioning and living and operating through us. And the joy that is his is existent in the body, and that body is me and you. I want to wind down here with a couple of passages of Scripture. Knowing that we're meant to look like Jesus, that his intention is for us to have his joy in us, that we're meant to be revealed to this world as his disciples by looking like him. He loves us, and we're meant to love one another so that we look just like him. If you want to know what makes Jesus Jesus, you can find a great summary in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. It speaks about an attitude, a mentality, the thing that makes Jesus who he is. You'll see it there in chapter 2, specifically in the first few verses, uh, I think specifically in verses 3 and 4. But if you're reading through Philippians and you get to verse 3 and 4, you'll, get, you'll read this. You'll see, do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't just look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful bar to set. It's a wonderful example to pursue. And oftentimes, as we live out our lives as believers uh, in fellowship, loving one another, uh, in pursuit of the joy of the Lord, and in and, and, and the pursuit of being disciples of Jesus Christ, I think we can lose the reality that we're meant to function and operate like this. Things can become motivated by religious obligation. Things can be dates on a calendar and activities where there's no longer that connection that is relational, that is personal that has been the driving force of all of these things to be genuine and real and powerful. That joy in doing these things. In order for us to step away from those risks of things being mechanical or becoming obligations, but for us to live in that, that position of operating in the joy of the Lord, I believe we need to take on that same attitude. And here's a kind of a way to test yourself with that attitude. Is my attitude the same as Jesus? Do I have a Christ-like attitude? If you want to see kind of a good place to test yourself in that, you can find it in the same chapter of Philippians. You just have to go down to about verses 14 and 15. Now, before you go down there, let me just warn you, you're probably going to be convicted. I'm deeply convicted, often, 
and realize that, wow, there's a lot of things that I need to surrender to God. I think my Christianity has become mechanical here, or I'm just doing it because I'm supposed to do it, but I'm not doing it with the attitude of Jesus Christ. I'm not motivated by the same motivation that he has. I'm not walking in his joy in doing these things. Rather, I'm just checking off the boxes. Hello? When you get down to verse 14... You'll see the test here as we're identifying the attitude of Jesus Christ and what it looks like. Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you'll prove yourself to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Wow. So when I read that, I mean, I'm seeing that now the the world is divided into two groups in this passage of Scripture, okay? In this passage of Scripture, you see two groups of people. Uh, You see blameless, innocent children of God who are above reproach. That's one group. And then you see crooked and perverse uh, generation, right? There's the other group. And what differentiates these two groups is the presence or the lack of grumbling and complaining. And oftentimes I have to ask myself, which group do I sound like I belong in? Do I sound like I belong in the group that that is this redeemed and delivered, this, this blameless, innocent group that is the children of God appearing as light in the world, or do I sound like that perverted, crooked generation? If the difference is grumbling and complaining, I should really check myself. And the wonderful thing about this is even if we found ourselves in the midst of being grumblers or complainers, it's not the end for us. I mean, all of these things are meant to be a a conviction that the Holy Spirit would bring in our life for the purpose of leading us out of that and into where we ought to be. So that motivation being joy. I want to talk about how to get joy as we close. So that we don't just simply talk about what's important and what we need, but we never identify how to obtain it. That would be miserable. To just identify, I need joy. If I don't have joy, I have all of these horrible afflictions. I have all this depression and all of these obstacles. If we don't have joy, it's going to be difficult. If we come to that as as that's the end of the message, then really we're just set up to know that life is miserable. But God hasn't set us up to know life is miserable. Rather, he's revealed the solution to every single one of our trials and every single one of our troubles. I want to give you a passage of scripture as we close here. Uh, We're going to look at two verses on how to get God's joy in our life. I mean, the first one I want to give you is Psalm 16, verse 11. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, in your presence, in in your presence, it's talking about God. So in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy, that word fullness there, meaning that it's not just a place where you can find some joy or a measure of joy. Rather, it's the fullness of joy. I want you to think of that like a source. Like that's going to be where all joy comes from. That is the spring where the waters of joy flow out from in the presence of God. And then I want to give you this passage of Scripture out of the Psalms, Psalm 100, verse 4. Psalm 100, verse 4, it reads like this, 
enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. So when I read these passages of scripture together, I come into this little thought process, this awareness that all of the joy, that the very source of joy is found in the midst of God's presence. And I can see that to pursue that, to, to engage with that, to have fellowship with that, the passage of scripture that we read in Psalm 100 reveals some things that need to exist in my heart and in my mind in order to access his presence and his joy. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. In order for us to access the presence of God where the fullness of joy exists, the joy that drives and motivates us to minister and function just like Jesus, it all starts with gratitude. I mean, when I read something like enter his gates with thanksgiving, I see thanksgiving is the key to the gate. And without gratefulness, without gratitude, you're going to be shut out. I mean, an ungrateful heart, a resentful heart, is going to have tremendous difficulty walking in the joy that we're called to walk in. But it begins with thanksgiving. It moves into praise. Giving God thanks and blessing his name. Opening up access to his presence and the fullness of joy to be the motivation in our actions, in our words, in the ministry that Jesus has called us to, to function just like him. I want to ask you this morning to stand with me as we begin to close here. I want to pray and I want to trust God to do something great in our hearts and in our minds as we move into the holiday season that I think could, could apply to every single person in the room. And I, I know that we've all met people that are in different places and different uh, awarenesses and, and you can see that some people are, are in a total state of depression and other people are living joyful lives. And I think whether you're in that state of depression or whether you're living that joyful life, no matter what, a new measure can come today. A measure in each one of us, a renewal of our thinking, an expansion of our heart to see the joy that God has called us to, the very joy of Jesus Christ himself fulfilled in us, coming to pass as the motivation behind our words and our actions and everything that God would call us to do. It's not just a message about, hey, get happy because Jesus is good, and that would be a great message. But it's a message that Jesus has called us to be motivated with the same motivation that he has, to find the same things that he values valuable. Remember, when we read the definition of joy, it involved value and appreciation. He's calling us to have the same values that he has, to appreciate the same things that he does so that we can be motivated in the same way. Not motivated by selfish gain, not motivated by self-exaltation, not motivated by religious obligation, but motivated by pure joy. 
I want to ask God to do a work in our hearts and our minds to bring these things to the surface of who we are and how we function. That if there be anything in our hearts and our minds that need to be cast out, let it be. If there's anything that needs to be put in, let it be put in. That we could be a joyful people. That we could look just like Jesus. So there where you stand, I simply want to pray. And I want to trust that God, by His Spirit, will do something great in us. Father, we bless Your name and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for joy. It's our desire to fulfill Your Word and rejoice always. We give you thanks for the faithfulness of our King that he would pray and that he would ask and make a request on our behalf. Now we ask that his request be revealed to us. That we might stand with receptive hearts and minds to receive the fulfillment of his prayer. That his joy be fulfilled in us. That the things that would motivate Jesus, the things he would appreciate, the things he would value, would become the things that we embrace and we appreciate and we value. Let our motivation be joy. Let there be a celebration in each one of us that would be founded upon gratitude and thanksgiving. And let us be found in the midst of your presence that with grateful hearts we would pass through the gates, that with praise we would walk into the courts, and that we would stand in your presence in the celebration of the fullness of joy, thanks to Jesus. And let there be an impact on us even now here as we celebrate in this holiday season. And let it be something that's not only for us, but let it be something that can be sent out through us to be a blessing to those around us, to lead them and draw them unto you. We bless your name and we thank you. And we rejoice in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.